we get into the word today, I just, uh, I, I want to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this church. And God, thank you for just Sandra's testimony, God. We pray that, that people who walk in these doors, they would feel the love of God. Um, they would feel that, that um, just from, from us, from your presence, just being here. So I pray for that today, that that would continue. I pray that as we open your word today, that you would expand our, our vision for who you are, for what it means that, that, that you're a holy God and how you impact us right where we're at. So I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started a series called Set Apart, Living as God's Holy People. You think about the idea of holiness, and it, we kind of wrap that in. We talked about last week how we wrap that in with being a very moral person. And what I challenged us to do last week is to, to think of holiness, including morality, but morality itself not being the, the focus or the object of holiness, that the focus of being holy, this call to be holy, is connection to a holy God. It means we're connected to the only one who is good uh, in existence. And so God's vision of holiness goes quite a bit deeper. The beauty of holiness is a pure connection to God where there's a nothing in the way between you and God. That is called freedom. When there is absolutely nothing in the way between you and God, when you have a free relationship with God. And Jesus makes that happen. We don't earn our connection with God. Jesus gives us that. Jesus makes us holy. Uh, Jesus paid for all our sin. And so we get to live in pure connection to God. So today, as we turn the page, we're going to look at a moment in Scripture where someone encountered the holiness of God. This is early on in Scripture, in Exodus. We're going to look at this idea of encountering a holy God. What does it look like when we come face to face with God, when we can see him clearly? What is that like? But before we get there, I want to ask a real question. And this is kind of a real question, maybe to our everyday experience of God. I don't, and I'm going to talk about two ways this could hit you this morning. But this is, this is my question for you personally. Does God's activity in your life ever feel underwhelming? Does God's activity in your life ever feel underwhelming? Like, man, I wish God was doing more in my life. I mean a couple different things. First, I wonder if you're bored in your relationship with God. It's like, ah, it's just not as exciting as I thought it would be. Um, God isn't, isn't uh, moving as much in my life as I thought he would. Um, I've been in ministry. I worked for churches for about 15 years. And um, I can say there are a couple churches I worked for that I, I wondered, why are these people still meeting? Like, they don't even seem to like coming to church. Uh, I don't know, like, where, where they're at. Um, it seemed kind of boring. And I wondered, you know, what, what is their idea of God? Is God underwhelming uh, to these people? As I was looking at planning a church, before I was even looking at planning a church, I was exploring pastoring an existing church, and I talked to different leaders of different organizations, different denominations, and I, I talked to one guy, and he said, yeah, yeah, I could send you to a church right now, but you'd hate it. You just wouldn't like it. There's all this drama. Um, you know, it's too unhealthy. 
And he said, you know what I think you should do? I, and I seriously have never talked to this guy since. He's like, I think you should plan a church. Because that way, if there's drama, it's your drama. You know, you did it. So <laughs> that way you're not just walking into a situation and taking on other people's drama. I was like, that's great advice. Uh, I, and so God opened up this door here to, here to plant with you guys. And so I'm really grateful that if we have drama here, that I get to create it. So <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> Love that. Love that. So, you know, so we could, but we could have all this to say, all this to say, you know, you can sit in church for a long time and, and feel like there's something missing in your church experience. Like, where is God really at work? Here's the second thing I'm getting at with the word underwhelming. Sometimes we can wonder where God is in the middle of our suffering. Sometimes we can wonder, God, are you, are you really there? Like, I've, I've been suffering for a long time, and, and I don't know where you are at this point. And if you're in that place, I have some encouragement for you. Half of the book of Psalms is in that place. Half of the book of Psalms is in a place where people are wondering where God is in the middle of their suffering. God's activity, God's presence in their life and their situation feels underwhelming. Just as an example, let's go to Psalm 88, verse 13. This is a common sentiment. It says, But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? That's real. That's real. There are times in life where God feels hidden. Even when you're crying out to him, even when you're praying, even, hey, I'm reading more, I'm praying more, I'm doing all the things. God, where are you? There are times where we feel like God's leaving us out to dry. That he's just kind of leaving us in our suffering. And we ask for his power to heal. We ask for his power to save, and it doesn't happen according to what we, what we want. And the psalm speaks over and over again to, to that place, feeling underwhelmed. God, where are you? So this morning, we're going to go to a, a story, as I mentioned, in the book of Exodus. Starts in a similar place. It starts with God's people, the Israelites living in slavery in Egypt. They're being actively mistreated and abused. They're living in oppression. And while scholars differ on dates, we can assume that they'd been enslaved in Egypt for at least a hundred years. So the point where we intercept the story, the, the people of Israel at this point don't know life outside of slavery outside of oppression. They've been slaves long enough that no one, no one knew what freedom was like. And during this long time, they wondered where God was. God, it's been a hundred years. Where are you? When are you going to show up? Like, if we're the chosen people, when are you going to show up for us? Forced labor, menial conditions. God, where are you? What are you doing? When God's response to our suffering feels underwhelming, it can lead us to a place of despair. Recently, I read the story of Harriet Tubman. If you know about Harriet Tubman, she was born into slavery in Maryland in 1822. Uh, she lived in a really cruel environment. And at one point, she was hit in the head with a metal weight, 
that, that, um, that injured her permanently, and for the rest of her life she had epilepsy because of it. Now, if you know her story, she escaped at age 27, and she was famous for helping slaves escape on the Underground Railroad. But as she reflected on her slavery later in life, this is what she said. She said, I had reasoned this out in my mind. There was one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. And if I could not have one, I would have the other. Prolonged suffering leads us into some dark places. You know, I, I can't have liberty, I'd rather die. In the middle of the suffering of Israel, there was a man with an interesting story, you may know his name, Moses. Let's just to kind of speed up the story here. Moses escaped death as a baby. Uh, when he was a baby, the uh, Egyptians were killing all Hebrew male children. Uh, Moses' mother decided to hatch a plan. She put him in a basket. That's why when you go to a baby shower today, they have Moses baskets. This is where it comes from. Uh, it's a joke. I'm trying to lighten it up here. Um, <laughs> Moses basket. Um, I'm glad I don't need a Moses basket anymore, man. My youngest is seven. No turning back. We're doing good. Uh, so she, she uh, floated him down the Nile River. He ends up at the doorstep of the, of the palace. Pharaoh's daughter's there, sees him, wants to keep the child, keeps the child. And, and now Moses is a Hebrew growing up in the, uh, the palace of the Egyptian Pharaoh. He's, he's well-fed, he's well-educated, but he's still in, he's still a Hebrew. One day when he was a young man, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and he was incensed, he was outraged. But he didn't just kill the Egyptian um, out of his rage. He was very, the, the scripture says he was really deliberate. It says he looked around to see if anybody was there. And when he saw that no one was there, he went and killed the, uh, killed the Egyptian who was oppressing the Hebrew, and he buried him in the sand. Moses, this, this, this hero of faith, was a cold-blooded killer in his young age. He, he murdered this Egyptian. So after that day, he fled to the wilderness. He went to a place called Midian. He met a priest there named Jethro. He met this priest's daughter named Zipporah. He married her, and he subjected himself to the life of a shepherd in the wilderness. It was a self-imposed exile. He contented himself to live out the rest of his life in isolation, taking care of sheep and wandering hillsides while God's people suffered. So today, we, we, might feel, we can feel a little bit like Moses, you know, maybe we look at our life and we're like, man, this is underwhelming. You know, maybe we've, we feel like the mistakes in our lives have led us to the place where we're at, where we just feel stuck. We feel stuck. Maybe we feel alone. Moses spent most of his days alone on the, on the hillside with sheep. He had a lot of time to think. I wonder how many times he replayed that scene in his head where he, where he killed the Egyptian. I wonder... In spending 40 years out there, how much he wrestled with his own shame and his own darkness. 
and, and, and the life that he feels that he had chosen and was now stuck in. As Moses contemplated his own life, Israel lingered in slavery, underwhelmed by God. But now we're going to open our Bibles to Exodus 2.23, and we're going to look at what happens in this story. It says this, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses said, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. No drug testing was done here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. So 40 years Moses had spent wandering and wondering where God was. Forty years, the Israelites waited for God to do something while Moses was out in the wilderness, and everything changed in a moment. Moses had a holy encounter with the living God. It started as just another day. Just another day, Moses had taken his father-in-law's sheep into the wilderness to Mount Horeb, which is in the Sinai Peninsula. Some think, people think it might actually be Mount Sinai under another name. Mount Sinai was where uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God later. We don't know for sure, but it's in that general area where this happened. And something caught Moses' eye. Now, we can be thankful that Moses wasn't in a hurry that day. He wasn't distracted. He saw that there was a bush on fire, just a shrub out in the in the desert somewhere, just on fire. But he stood there long enough to notice, like, hey, it's, that's, uh, it's, it's not burning up. And so he was curious, and, and he went towards the bush. And it says when God saw him come towards the bush, he spoke. And he said, Moses, Moses. God calls Moses by name. And here, Moses gives a response of someone who believes that God is present. Here I am. If you want to know what the language is like, it's like taking roll call at school. It was like Moses said, present. Like, that's what it was like. God says, Moses, Moses. And he says, I'm here. I'm present. Then God says, he gives instructions. He says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Something is different here. 
there's a connection to God in this place. This is not ordinary life. As we talked about the opposite of holy being ordinary, this is the opposite of that. So things for Moses went from underwhelming to overwhelming really, really quickly. He went from feeling forgotten and isolated to within a footstep of dying in the presence of God. Like, just power right there. God Almighty met him in the most unlikely of, of places, just out in the wilderness. Could have been anywhere. But what we see is that God had noticed God had noticed the suffering of his people. God had noticed that he had a leader out in the desert who was just kind of throwing his life away. He noticed. And so God enters time and space and reveals his glory to Moses in a holy encounter. A holy encounter. I wonder about this idea of holy encounter. I think today a holy encounter is pretty hard to find because I read a book 20 years ago that called us a fast food nation. And I think that's true. I think we want things instantly. I think if we want to watch a specific film, we have like 10 different streaming services. We can find that thing. I'm a little nervous that they're building a Cinnabon in town. Like there's no good. That will come from having a Cinnabon in town. There's no good. Like, it sounds good. Don't do it. This is an ethical dilemma, guys. Don't do it. You don't need to go to Cinnabon. Um, but if we want something, we want it now. We want it now. You know, if we, for entertainment, it's getting shorter and shorter. You can get on Instagram, click through 30-second little bites to entertain yourself. And so I wonder, we come from this framework, and are we expecting God to show up in an instant? Are we expecting, when we pray, are we expecting God to show up instantly? Like, God, I want, I want you on demand. Are we expecting that kind of relationship with God? Moses' life was slowed down to a point where he took time to look at a burning bush. And he found God there. So when God showed up, Moses was in a place where he was slowed down enough where he was ready to respond. Moses had clearly done some work out there in the wilderness in his own heart over those 40 years. What if that time in isolation actually slowed Moses down enough to stop reacting, kill an Egyptian, and start listening, start noticing? God, where are you? What are you doing? Ruth Haley Barton writes about this in a, in a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. She writes about the Moses story. She writes about this moment where Moses is on the mountain. And she says, connects it to us. And she says, as we face who we are more honestly, we find that we are finally ready for an encounter with God. The first leg of Moses' journey as a leader then was not to lead anyone else anywhere. It was to allow himself to be led into freedom from his own bondage. Before he could lead others into freedom, he needed to experience freedom himself. I think that's powerful. God, the wilderness is not a place of waste. 
God does work in the wilderness, and he works on us. He cares enough about us to work on us. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Your most underwhelming season might be your most significant opportunity for spiritual growth. The season where you feel like God isn't working, God might be doing something in you that, that is uh, going to be valuable when you enter into something that he calls you to. He's teaching you something out in the wilderness. What could he be teaching you? How about trust? Trusting God, even in those times where we open up to Psalm 88 and we ask God, where are you? How about faithfulness? Like, God, I know that your way, even though I can't see you working right now, I know your way is better. I'm just going to keep with it. How about perseverance? Like, we all suffer, and God gives us the strength to persevere. And how about humility? That might be the toughest one. I thought this was going to happen, but God, I'm content with the life that you've given me. This is how God actually makes us more into the image of Christ in suffering, how he continues to make us holy, continues to set us apart. I'll, I'll tell you, if you met me in high school, perseverance, humility, endurance, and faithfulness is not ways you would describe me in high school, right? Nothing, high, I love high schoolers, man. Like, thank you, high schoolers, for everything you do. But what I'm saying is, like, we're not born with these things. We learn them in the wilderness. We learn them the hard way. And so we might want life to feel like it's overflowing with spiritual goodness all the time. But if you just read scripture, you see that God takes his people through some dark valleys. And he does work on them there. And we're formed in these times when God's presence feels underwhelming. Sometimes for a long season. So you might hear this today and be like, man, that's really encouraging because I feel like I'm in that moment. Or you might hear, hear that and be like, man, that's really frustrating because it, it sounds like you're telling me to wait. I'm tired of waiting. What I don't want to do today is if you are in a place where you're suffering, I don't want to dangle a carrot out in front of you. It's like, oh, you know, like, it's all good because it might continue to be hard, but we can continue to trust in a holy God. God always has purpose in the wilderness. We might be a fast food people, but he is not a fast food God. So you might want fast food, right? You might be like, man, I'm really hungry. Taco Bell's right there. I could be eating in 10 minutes. It's, it's great. You could, you could think that. But would you rather have Taco Bell or would you rather have like a slow-cooked pot roast? Mm, just like mashed potatoes, Thanksgiving dinner. What if we want the fast food and God has the Thanksgiving feast that he's preparing? It takes more time, but it's worth it. So much of our lives is instant, and we can bring that into our Christian experience. We can think, like, man, if I, I you know, like, I'm going to pray for five minutes. God, you got five minutes. Shoot your shot. You know, just let's, come on, like, show me what you're going to do. How about patience and prayer? What if we just started at patience in prayer? Maybe we don't even set a time in the morning. We just pray till we feel like we're done. You know, maybe, maybe that would help us learn, unlearn some of this instantness uh, that, we, that we've picked up. We pray for God to move, and we expect movement. 
I talked about God humbling you. And I think that's something, even in, in planning this church, in 2018, when we planted, I was thinking, oh, we'll, you know, we'll probably be to 300 people within two years. You know, that, that was what I, that was my promised land. I was like, 300 people, two services. Then this pandemic happened, and we were thankful to get 50 people <laughs> together, you know? But I was just thinking about how God's promised land is different than our promised land, right? God shapes the story, and God has shaped the story with our church. It's been beautiful. Like, just as Sandra shared, like, that's what we want. We don't want to be just, like, an event. We want to be a family, and that's, that's who God shaped us to be. So, so God's actions, they're not fast food. They're not always convenient. But when he does act, it's powerful. When he does speak, it's powerful. He's doing things you don't know about. He's noticing things that you feel like he's forgotten. And when he, God does show up, it's very clear that he's there. When Moses was there, Moses experienced God he had to take his sandals off. There was a shrubbery ablaze, just burning, but not, not burning up. And God spoke. And I'm not going to go into the whole uh, dialogue because it's very long. Um, but we're just going to take the first part of it. So uh, if you want to go back to your Bible, we'll, we'll look at uh, Exodus 3, verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out, up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So, God says, I've seen it all, all the things you've been concerned about, all the cries, all the tears, I've seen it, and I am concerned. You might be familiar with the Hebrew word for concern. It's the word yada or yada where you hear yada, yada, yada. That actually means I know, I know, I know. But God doesn't say it passively. He says, I know. I know. Yada, I know what you've been through. I know what you're going through. And God doesn't dismiss it. God acts. It's God who's going to do it. He's using this super reluctant leader, Moses, who feels totally inadequate, totally unworthy, still struggling, and he says, you're the center of the plan. You're the center of the plan. Moses says, who am I? And that's what we say when we encounter a holy God. When we encounter the bigness of God, we don't think, yeah, I'm pretty good. I can help you out, God. No, it humbles us. It knocks us down. 
So in this holy encounter, Moses has gone from being underwhelmed to being overwhelmed. Not only is God present, which is overwhelming, but he's also asking Moses to do something that feels absolutely impossible. And his promise is not a detailed promise. It's just, I'll be with you. You can do this because I'll be with you. That's the only qualification. You just walk with me and it will happen. That's it. So it, we get to that point too. If you ever get to that point, maybe you're not here feeling underwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling, God, how do I do this? How do I live this life you've called me to live? How is this supposed to work? I mean, the promise is still the same. God says, I will be with you. Jesus said that. Before he left, he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be with you. That's like over and over again. One of the reasons I love the Bible is its consistency. And when God's people are scared, God always says, I will be with you. If I call you to do something, I'll be with you. So that is faith, is working and moving, knowing that God is with us. When Jesus faced the cross, he felt overwhelmed in his humanity. He prayed and asked God if there's any other way that, that God could, could take this cup from him and save the world, and there wasn't. And Jesus submitted himself to what God was calling him. And as we step towards the calling of God, we're always going to reach points that feel beyond us, feel like they're too much. And the promise of God is that I'm enough. I'm enough to overcome any problem, any situation, no matter how bad it is, no matter how tough it is, or no matter what you've done, I'm enough to make it happen. Because he makes this clear with Moses. It's not about his adequacy. Jesus didn't pick Moses because he was adequate. Um, he picked Moses because that was his will. And he said, I'll be with you. And, uh, and, and so Moses did eventually, after a lot of discussion, if you want to keep reading, uh, did follow the Lord into what he was calling him to do. But it's through our holy encounter with God, that's those points of clarification we need in our lives. God, why do you have me here? What's my purpose? What am I doing? Uh, what, help me with my suffering. It's this idea of holy encounter that helps us see what God's doing. And these holy encounters, we don't need to go find a bush on a mountain somewhere. We don't need to go, we're not, we don't need to go find like a wildfire somewhere and, and hang out there. Um, we have the Holy Spirit, God in us. We can have a holy encounter with God at any time. Any time. And this is where I want to land today. God continues to shape and change our life through holy encounters. It may not be this huge moment on a mountainside, but God is there, and God wants to connect with you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to hear from you, hear your concerns. God notices those. God cares about those. And so while our sin is what separates us from God's holiness— God has entered into our ordinary world through Jesus and created connection again. If we believe in Jesus, we're made holy and we can have a relationship with God. And we don't have to wait for an aha mountaintop moment. It is every day. 
That's what you're invited to, to jump into every morning in your prayer time, is an encounter with the living God, is, is to hear, uh, to, to say, um, God, your will be done. You know, show me your will. What, what do I need to focus on today? What do you want from me today? And to just slow down and listen, to just slow it down. I mean, if you don't hear anything else today, maybe that's what God would call you to do, is just is to slow down the pace at which you're trying to connect with God. Just, just pray. Just practice silence. Think about how much silence Moses experienced as a shepherd on a mountaintop. Maybe pursue silence before God. Solitude. Allow God to speak. We're not, we're not trying to pray enough for God to speak back to us. We're just trying to be in a place where we're listening. We're listening to God. I also like what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. So God isn't trying to light a, a bush on fire. He's trying to light our hearts on fire now. He's trying to light our hearts on fire, and that's through the Holy Spirit. And when that fire is lit, he's saying, don't quench it. Don't quench it. There's a lot of things that can quench that fire in us, right? Of course, of course, our sin, right? You know, something like lust or drunkenness, all that. But doubt can, can quench it. Busyness can quench it. Fear, distraction. Maybe just saying no when God is asking you to do something. Help someone. Share a word of truth. Those are the things we got to say no to, right? I don't want to quench this fire. I want the fire in me to grow. I want God to speak through me. God, and maybe you're in a place where you need to God, ask God to light that fire. Maybe, maybe God feels underwhelming because you don't feel that fire. And maybe you need to ask God today, God, would you just, would you just give me a passion for you that, is, that, 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 that you will help me not quench? Paul says, pray without ceasing. I remember when I first read that verse, I was like, how can somebody possibly pray without ceasing? <laughs> you know? But the idea is that you are talking to God all day. You never leave the pace, place of prayer. If you need to pray and not say amen, so that you can think, I'm still going to talk to God. I'm not going to close the loop. Maybe you need to start there. But what I know is God wants us to be shaped and formed by a holy encounter with him. God wants us to be overwhelmed by his, his goodness, his power, his love. And that will change everything in our life. That will change the trajectory of our life. It's one thing to sit down with a counselor and ask a counselor, like, what, what should I do with my life? It's another thing to hear that from the living God. And, and, to, and to know what God is calling you to do in your heart. And that's what God invites us into. God's got something for you to do. And it may not be what he called Moses to, but God may be calling you to a work here in Blaine. God may be calling you to a work somewhere else, but your first step is holy encounter every day. Is a holy encounter with God. And sometimes maybe you need to get away for that. Maybe you need to get out of your house. Maybe you need to go for a walk. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a room upstairs that's quiet. But maybe instead of, like if you got five minutes this week, if you got five minutes, maybe instead of bringing God a list, maybe just start where Moses start, started. He said, here I am.
What if that was the point of entry with God? God, here I am. This is a conversation. This isn't a list. This isn't, this isn't my will. This is me saying, God, here I am. Use me. Show me. Shape me. Teach me. Whatever you want to do. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, you are a powerful God. And sometimes we can live lives that obscure what you're doing. Sometimes we don't notice, God, what you're doing, God. We move too fast. Um, we don't take time to consider uh, what, what you want to do in us, what you want to teach us. Lord, I pray for a reset today for us. God, you, <laughs> you give so much grace to your people. You're never done with us. In the middle of our failure, you come and you lift us up. Lord, you come and, and, and call us by name. Lord, you're not a demanding God. You're a loving God. And so we thank you, Father, that you in your grace, Lord, you, do, you don't allow us to be, be named by our mistakes, but you allow us instead to be named by Christ. Lord, that we actually put on the clothes of, of Christ and you cover everything. So, Lord, I pray for that today. If, if we're coming from a place where we feel distant, where we feel defined by our mistakes, where we feel written off, where if, we, if we're in a wilderness time, Lord, may we just put on the clothes of Christ again. May we just be covered in your grace, and may you speak to us. It's because of Christ we can say to you, God, here I am. So, Lord, we pray for that in our hearts this week. God, we pray for an attitude of openness towards you, an openness towards your spirit, an openness towards what you want to do. And, Lord, I also pray if we are suffering, God, and if we've been in the, been in the Psalms, we've been in that place, God, where are you, where are you? I do pray for breakthrough. I do pray that you would reveal yourself in the midst of our suffering. God, whether that's to remove it or encourage us or whatever, Lord, you don't leave us hung out to dry. Lord, you, you're right there and you see it all. So we thank you and praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we're going to close today in communion. Um, so the way that we do communion is we'll just, uh, if, if you are a Christian, we would invite you to come forward, take the cup and the bread, bring it back to your seat, and then we'll take it together. Um, but uh, I, uh, communion is our time to examine ourselves. It's our time to have conversation with God. Remember, Jesus asked us to remember him um, as we take the bread and, and the cup, the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood. So as Brian plays, as you feel led, come forward and, and grab the cup and the bread.